turn with me to 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm, I'm going through, um, I guess, a passage that might be familiar. This is a, you know, a passage that, that Peter has given in, for our Christian growth. Um, he's encouraging us to grow uh, in our Christian life, and so he gives us uh, some building blocks here, and uh, before I go too far, I just, I'm just going to read Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 1 and verses 5 through 11. I'm reading out of the, the New King James Version. It says this, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into an everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for what you've done for us, how you've, um, how you've just provided for us. Father, but you've asked us to uh, have a part in the work of uh, growing more like your son. And so, Father, I pray that this morning's message would be encouragement to those who are here this morning. Uh, Father, help me um, to speak very clearly, that uh, it would be clearly uh, evident what's in your word, and not my thoughts, but what's in your word. And so I, I just pray for the help of your Holy Spirit here this morning. I thank you for the, the grace that, uh, that you showed already to me, and thank you for the, the prayers of others uh, uh, as uh, I prepared this. And um, thank you for uh, your love and your compassion to us. And most, most importantly, thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray, amen. If you look at the, the book of Second Peter, who it's addressed to, Peter says this. It's to those who have obtained precious faith, like precious faith. So that means that there's a, a people or a group in this book that this, this message or this passage doesn't apply to. This means that there's another set of people besides those who have this faith. And the Bible is very clear about this. It talks about these two sets of people. It talks about them in several different ways. It talks about them as the lost versus those who are saved. Um, those who are perishing, so those who are called to everlasting life. Sometimes there's object lessons used, the wheat versus the tares. Um, and really it's, uh, you know, these two groups, uh, it's not about what their faith, lack of faith, it's about the object of their faith, right? In Hebrews 11.6, it says, but without faith, it is impossible, it is impossible to please God. But it's faith in what? 
I'd like to say that the, there's one group that has maybe faith in self, their abilities, their works, what they're doing. Uh, maybe it's the money. You know, uh, just that's what they trust in. They trust in that money to get them through anything. Uh, fame. Um, I, just while well, I was thinking about this, this, this song popped in my head. Uh, it's a 1980s song. It says, fame, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it to heaven. Light up the sky like a flame. I'm going to live forever. That's, that's the actual words. I, I thought it was interesting that it says, baby, remember my name. Now, as I went to look this up, I can't remember who the songwriter was. So, um, but that, just that, that thought of maybe it's fame that's the object of their faith and what they're looking for. Uh, power, maybe it's power or modern medicine. People look to, to medicine to, to help them uh, in some ways live, live forever. Uh, government, uh, maybe the human race, nature. Maybe getting a little bit closer to home, maybe religious practices like going to church, um, reading the Bible, doing good to others. Those, those things are good. That's, that's not what we have faith in. But unless you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not have the like precious faith that Peter is talking about here. And that like precious faith is, is clearly talked about in Romans. We just did a, a big study in Romans and I keep coming back to this, this passage in, in Romans 3 uh, because I think it just so clearly uh, talks about where there, our righteousness comes from. Romans 3.21 says this, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith, in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now the Bible is very clear that there are two groups. But God does not want there to be two groups. The Bible says that the righteousness of God is to all. That, that phrase is repeated of all. It's to all. So everyone, it's to everyone, this righteousness. For we all, for all, right? In Romans 3.20, it says, for all of sin. We all have the same starting point. We're all sinners. We're all imperfect. We're all unholy. We're all apart from God, unrighteous, unfit, and unable to stand before him by anything we do. But the righteousness of God is only on all who believe or all on those who have faith in Jesus Christ. I, I want to say this morning that if you don't have this like precious faith, you can this morning. It's very clear from the gospel that, from, from this book, from the word of God, that God wants all to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that God desires none to suffer, but he desires that all come to repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all it takes is belief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe that he is the son of God. Believe that you are a sinner, that, you've, that you're unrighteous in your own works. You can't come to him. 
but that you need the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from that belief, you show your belief by making him Lord and Savior of your life. I didn't want to go any further without saying that because as we go further into this, the the message is for those of like precious faith. But really God's goal is that all have that like precious faith, that all come to repentance and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So going back here to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, our passage starts out with this, this phrase, for this very reason, for this very reason. And I, I didn't read the first part of the, the passage, but there's, it, it's so great to see why Peter is writing this. And he really lays out these truths of what God has done for us. Um, so I'm going to start in verse 3 uh, and just read verses 3 and 4. Uh, As his, that's God's, divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, for the very reason that you have obtained these exceedingly great and precious promises, for the very reason that God has given us everything that we need for both life and godliness, both our physical and spiritual being is fulfilled through everything that God has given us. And then we have escaped the corruption that is in this world. Because of these, for this very reason, Peter gives this, gives this passage that I read here this morning. And this passage is about spiritual growth, our growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about adding to your faith, right? So it has that you already have this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have this belief, but you know, since we're all sinners, uh, we're all a little messy, right? Um, and we're never going to be perfect. But there is this aspect of growth, right? When a, when a child is born, they're still a child and a human being. Uh, you do not expect that, that child to be exactly like that when they're 13. At least I hope not. Uh, uh, so there's this expectation of growth. I think this, the same is true in our Christian walk, in our spiritual life. There's this expectation of growth. And Warren Rearsby says, spiritual growth is not automatic. It requires cooperation with God and application of spiritual diligence and discipline. Let me read that again. Spiritual growth is not automatic. It requires cooperation with God and application of spiritual diligence and discipline. And I think Wearsby gets the, the diligence part from this, from Peter. He says, given all diligence, the thought of doing this speedily. But I, I, before I get too far, I, I want to be careful to mention there's kind of a healthy tension there, right? There's the work that God's doing, and there's the effort that I have to do. <laughs> either extreme is a problem. 
All right? So I was just thinking of object lessonness. Uh, so my effort alone, if I try really hard to do this, I'm like a dry watering hole. You basically come up, if you've seen a dry watering hole, I kind of Googled some pictures to kind of look at it. It's just this pile of mud. And it's a pile of mud because basically you have no inflow, but everything's flowing out, right? You're trying to give all of yourself, and you become this pile of mud. And uh, personally, it's unappetizing to drink from that. Um, The other extreme is, hey, I say, okay, God's doing it all. I do nothing. And that's kind of like a a stagnant pool of water. Uh, You ever seen a stagnant pool of water? Usually there's stuff growing in it. Uh, It's kind of green. It doesn't. You know, everything's flowing in, but nothing's flowing out. And uh, it neither looks pleasant to drink out of either. Um, So either extreme, whether we're, you know, we're this dry watering hole or this stagnant pool, uh, neither is appealing or appetizing out to the world. Neither really shows what the true Christian life is like. So we need to be careful uh, to not go to either extreme. We need to realize that it is cooperation between myself and God. God is doing his part. I, I need to come and do mine. And I think Peter is encouraging the believers here in this way. He's encouraging them to have diligence to do their part. And, and bring their effort uh, to the growth that God wants to give us, that he desires to give us in our Christian life. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says in King James Version, Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings, he shall not stand before mean men. So it's the idea of being diligent in every aspect of our life. And here... Uh, Peter asks us to be diligent, to add to our faith. Add to our faith. So uh, I was trying to think of a a good illustration of how to add to our faith. And some of you know that I love Legos. So uh, I borrowed this from my sons. Uh, One of them wanted me to mention that, that this is not mine, this is theirs. Um, So they said this was their contribution to the message. But I love Legos. And... um, I'm kind of like that dad in the Lego movie. I do have some Legos set aside from my childhood that the children cannot touch. Um, But but if anybody's played with Legos, you know that you start with a a block or a piece, and then you add to it brick by brick until what you made is complete. So just as as I walk, Peter gives, you know, I have an instruction booklet here. Peter kind of gives the instruction booklet for how to add piece by piece uh, to our Christian life, to help us to grow into what God wants us to be. Now, this is something you learn as a parent, as, as you play with Legos with your kids. Your children don't move at the same pace you do. They don't build at the same pace. Uh, they also don't build in the same way. They think differently. Uh, same with the Christian life. We can get annoyed and frustrated with other believers uh, for how maybe how slow they're moving, how they're moving, what they're doing. Uh, I just want us to be careful of that because we're not called to judge our other believers on how they build. But here Peter's talking about to, for us to be diligent in our own building. Be diligent in how we build. 
uh, and watch how we build for the kingdom of God. So the, the first element that uh, Peter uh, instructs us to add is virtue. Uh, and this word is, uh, you know, the English definition as you go to it, the English definition has changed. And it's not really, it doesn't really give a full picture or form, full meaning of the Greek word. The Greek word has this idea of excellence, fulfillment of pur- purpose or potential. So it has this idea of fulfilling your full expectation. Um, it's kind of a, a nebulous thought, a very difficult thought for an engineer to think about. But, uh, you know, I think there's a, you know, there's a slogan. Right? So from, from 1980 to 2001, the U.S. Army ran a recruitment slogan that embodies this concept. It's, it says this, be all that you can be. That's the idea that, that Peter is asking us to have this morning is he's, he's saying, hey, add to your faith this idea of pushing yourself to be all that you can be. Now, the Greek word does not just apply to our spiritual life. I want to be very clear to that this morning. It also includes our physical and our moral life. Every aspect of our life has to do with this. And, and God is not just interested in how we're doing spiritually. He's interested in our whole life. I, I have a tendency to, to think about things compartmentally. Um, God doesn't want us to think about it that way. He wants to think of us in, in a way of, this is the life that I've given you. Every aspect of it, you physically, morally, spiritually, and I want you to be all that you can be in every aspect of that life. Now, he doesn't just ask it, he displays it. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, uh, you may not recognize the word because it's translated praise in English, but it says the praise of him who has called us. The, the word praise is that same word of this excellence or fulfillment of the full potential. So God is excellent in all of his being. Philippians 4.8 reminds us that if there's anything of virtue or anything of excellence to think on these things. So as I go back to my illustration, as we think about, as I'm building this Lego set, if I was to use the word virtue, it's kind of this picture on the front, right? I'm looking forward to this. This set here, the whole picture of it at this final completion. But all I see right now is this. Do you see the symbol? The, you know, does it look the same? Doesn't look the same at all, does it? You know, sometimes it's a slow process in building. But again, Paul, Peter wants to remind us, look at the end goal. What do you want to, God wants us to be all that we can be. Look at that. And that's where he wants us to go. So he's saying, add to your faith virtue, this concept of being all that you can be, and add to your virtue knowledge. So, knowledge. This is not an intellectual pursuit, of, but being able to properly understand of the possible and the right and the wise application, application of God's word in our lives. Let me, let me repeat that. It's not an intellectual pursuit, but being able to have a proper understanding of the possible and the right and the wise application of God's word 
in our lives. One of the authors that I read, uh, he quoted this. He said, a deeper knowledge of God will result in a fuller knowledge of self and a clearer perception of duty. As we get closer to a light, as we get closer to, to God, as we see who he is, we see a little bit more revelation of ourselves, who we are, uh, things we need to work on, things, uh, you know, how we fall short. Uh, we get to see very clearly why it's a body, and the church is called a body, because there's uh, shortfalls in our own lives and our own abilities that other believers can, can bring along and come aside and, and fulfill those gaps in our lives. Um, but we have to, we're adding this, this knowledge of how to apply the word of God. Now, it's, this is very important. You can see clearly from the book of Acts, if you don't have knowledge, if you just have zeal, what happens? We have Saul. He's a very clear example. Paul, before he, his name was changed to Saul, he has zeal without knowledge. And it's leading him down this wrong path, right? He wants to serve God. I think that's very clear from, from Paul. He, he thinks he is serving God, right? But he doesn't have knowledge. He thinks he's serving God by getting rid of these, these, these people that are, uh, you know, defaming or, or causing problems with, with the, the word of God. And, uh, you know, he, he, he does what he thinks is right. Yet, that's kind of what, why I think really early Peter says, you know, add to this the knowledge, like the process of, of going, going forward. Um, same with this, right? The knowledge, right? If I don't read the instruction book, if I just say, hey, I'm going to open uh, packet 10 and I'm going to start building. I, I might find some of the pieces, but after a while, I'm going to get pretty frustrated or I'm going to go the wrong way because I'm going to be building in my own way because I can't find what, what the instruction booklet's telling me. So it, that's why it's important to have knowledge. But there's a warning here. You know, uh, knowledge alone puffs up and has a tendency to foster a spirit of self-sufficiency and lead us to become proud boastful, and self-confident. That's why Peter doesn't stop with knowledge, but he instructs us to add to our knowledge self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. That's a pretty bleak look, right? A city without walls has no way of defending itself. Just like a man without self-control, when the next attack comes from Satan, he's unable to ward it off. But self-control is more than just abstaining from sinful activity. Um, Just in my study here, I would suggest that there are three areas where we need to have self-control. The first is just over the old man, our sinful nature. But there's also this aspect that I hadn't thought about before. It's over our new man, and we'll talk about that, over our spirit. And then lastly, over our circumstances in life. So over our old man, 
abstaining from all kinds of evil. This does not mean the mere act of sin, but also our minds. Um, A. McNeil wrote this, It is dangerous for even the saintliest man to relax his guard over himself, as the example of David warns us. There is a danger of thinking that we don't, to, to not be on guard. But here we can see from examples in Scripture of men that, that wrote tremendous things about, about God, about things that would happen, and uh, yet they've fallen into sin because they weren't on guard. We should always be on guard because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He is desiring to destroy us. So we need to have self-control over the old man, over the sinful nature. We also need self-control over the new man. And this was a a great thought uh, from H. Howard. He gives this example to think about. He said, when Benjamin Franklin discovered electricity, he introduced a new force into human history. But this new force, with all its tremendous possibilities, required to be understood before it could be safely handled. The laws of its conduction, induction, and insulation had to be ascertained. If it were to be successfully yoked to the service of man and applied to the work of the world, so with spiritual power, faith becomes the conductor through which a new force passes in our lives. We have to study its laws and the conditions of its working because we are responsible for its legitimate use. You know, I, I think that's a great, easy way to see the illustration of as some new technology or new thing comes, we have to understand it. I'm not saying that the Spirit of God is new, but it's new to the believer, right? He needs to understand how to control, uh, to control it to understand it because he could get easily led astray uh, by people saying, hey, I've heard the word of the Lord to tell me to do this and get led astray by false voices. We need to understand and properly apply the power that God has given us through faith in him. All right, and lastly, the circumstances in life. We need to have self-control over those Ernest Rollerforce recalled one time when he said, when I was a young man at university, I learned boxing from a very skilled prize fighter. Of course, at first he could do what he liked with me with his fists. And I remember when I got a very bad blow just in the middle of my face, I hit out savagely. The boxer put down his hands, took me aside and taught me what I have never forgotten. He said, Mr. Wilberforce, whenever you get a blow, do not hit out wildly. But take a step back and just keep your hands up and ask yourself, what was I doing wrong? Or why did I get that blow? Circumstances in life will hit us. Trials will come. It's very clear from Scripture that that, uh, if you want to desire to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. So these circumstances will come, and sometimes they'll hit us. They'll knock us back. How will we respond? Will we respond in, 
by lashing out wildly back? Or will we have self-control? Such a, such a great thought from, you know, a great lesson from just, a, you know, that this man taught Mr. Wilberforce to take a step back. Stay on guard by keeping your hands up. And then ask yourself, why did this happen? How do we handle it when we're hit? Do we hit out savagely or step back? So back to our, you know, Lego example, right? If we don't have self-control, let's say I'm really excited I got this. In this packet, there's like 10 bags of Legos. So let's say I just ripped them all open right at first. Well, I might get the project done, but it'll take me a lot longer. It'll, it'll take me time to find the right pieces instead of doing it in an orderly fashion. I'll have to, to go back and go look and uh, look through more pieces than I not, didn't have before. Um, you know, it's kind of like that if we have no self-control. Sometimes we have to go back and retrace our steps um, so that we can get back on track of where God wants us to be. But what happens if we, we get knocked down, you know, by a blow? Well, that's why we're supposed to add to our self-control. Uh, the New King James calls it perseverance. Your, your passage may have patience, um, but perseverance seems to be a better rendering of the Greek word that has the idea of cheerful endurance, this idea of enduring through a hardship, um, the idea of not only bearing with something but contending with it. Warren Wearsby defines it as the ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. And I've already talked that circumstances will be difficult, but let me just read to you uh, a few passages. First one is 1 Peter 4.12. It says this, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial. So a fiery trial is coming, and then we should not think it strange. I think here in the Western world, we do think it's strange when with trouble strikes. We like things instant and easy. Uh, if we have to wait for it, uh, you know, it, it seems like it's, uh, you know, it's not worth it. If I have to work for it, uh, maybe I don't need it, right? Think about the few things we have. We have instant coffee. I was just over in the Sunday school house next door. There's a little packet. You don't even have to put cream and sugar in anymore. It's all there. One little packet, ready to go. Um, you know, the drive-through, right? We don't even have to get out of the car to get a food. Uh, we could just drive right up to a window and get it. Um, either not, not only food, but medicine or anything else. Um, DoorDash, right? I don't even have to get in my car these days. I just have to, you know, put a little button on my phone and someone will deliver it to my house. Um, you know, it's not just food, right? We got Amazon Prime. You go order on the computer, you order something, Hey, with one, within two days, you got something at your door. Um, so we live in this, this society that really tries to insulate itself from struggles. Uh, you know, we don't like it. Uh, but Peter, Peter says we will have these trials. Um, do not think it's strange. We should be prepared for conflict and trial. Paul reiterates these points in Romans 5, 3, and 4. He says, 
we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Paul tells us that our perseverance is produced by these, you know, these not nice events that happen in our life, these trials. But because of it, it produces perseverance and character and hope, something to look forward to. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everybody who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Guess what you're supposed to add to our perseverance? Godliness. <laughs> Godliness. Godliness in our lives. Uh, back to our illustration on perseverance. This is a big book. This is book number five of this Lego set. you don't persevere, you're never going to finish. You get in the middle and you're like, man, this is looking really good, but I just am done. I can't make it anymore. Um, That's why we're asked to persevere so that we can get to the end, the end product. Godliness. We must never get the idea that godliness is an impractical thing. The godly person makes, a, makes the kinds of decisions that are right and noble. He does what is right because it is the will of God. I think we get this idea that sometimes people, godliness is this impractical thing, but it isn't. Godliness is dependence on God and a life devoted to him. If it was an impractical thing, Peter wouldn't have, or Paul wouldn't have taken the time to tell Timothy about it. And he, he spent a lot of time talking to Timothy about godliness. Um, besides here in, uh, in Peter, in First and Second Peter, in First and Second Timothy is the most places where godliness is talked about. So let's look at just a few passages here. I'm going to start in Second Timothy and then go back to First Timothy to look through the passages. So the first thing... Paul teaches Timothy about godliness as he says, Beware of those who have the form of godliness. 2 Timothy 3, 5. Um, I actually might read back a little bit, uh, starting in verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So Paul warns Timothy to beware of those who have the form, have a form of godliness. All right, now in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.2, Paul teaches Timothy that godliness is living a quiet and peaceable life with all men. Uh, I'm going to read 2.1. Therefore, I exhort you first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all, all who are in authority, 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. Third, Paul teaches Timothy, godliness is a great mystery. Uh, so it's in First uh, Timothy 3, and uh, it's not 3.3, 3, it's 3.16. Uh, it says this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Jesus Christ is our true example of godliness, isn't he? He is the one who's shown how we can live a godly life. The next uh, part he talks is exercise towards godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Uh, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself t- towards godliness. <laughs> exercise yourself towards godliness. Um, just in the next verse, godliness is profitable for all things. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. So godliness is profitable for all things. Skipping over to 1 Timothy 6, 5, it, he gives this warning. Beware of those who only see godliness for gain. There is gain in godliness, but beware of those who seek it only for gain. Um, starting in verse 3 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, uh, useless wranglings, all of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. But then he goes on. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And finally, in 1 Timothy 6.11, Godliness is to be pursued. But you, O man of God... We these things, those are evil desires, uh, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. We are to pursue godliness. So this idea of dependence on God and a life devoted to him and him alone. All right. We were supposed to add to our our godliness brotherly kindness. Um, our concern for other believers' needs could be translated brotherly love. Uh, We know it, uh, the Greek word, because there's a city named after it, Philadelphia. Um, There there are three ways I I say that this demonstrates itself. Um, Showing that there is no distinction in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. 
So I just, by way of thought to myself, say, do we try to divide or unify with other believers? Do we try to divide based on race, what we look like, uh, maybe our gender, our position or status? If we're looking for ways to divide ourselves from other believers, we are not showing brotherly kindness. Second way is it manifests itself in self-denial. Just as we were watching the the video this morning in in the Sunday school class for the kids of the life of the Lord Jesus, he has this greatest example of self-denial when he washes the disciples' feet. Something that was thought of at the time that it was below his station, below his act that he needed to do. Of all people in that room, he was the one that didn't have to do that or shouldn't have had to do that. Yet, he gave us this example of self-denial, of being a servant to others. Lastly, it's a test of character. Uh, Here's a a quote uh, that I read. It says, For the love of the brotherhood is the love of a man because he is a man in Christ. It is a great test of Christian character to be able to discern the likeness to Christ in a man and to love that and nothing else but that in him. For there there may be much in Christians that may be unattractive. test of our character to love others because they are brother in Christ. But we're told to add to this brotherly kindness love, love for all humanity of all mankind. It's not merely an emotional love, but a practical one. R.W. Barbon wrote this. He said, love such as Christ's law speaks of never asks the question, who is my neighbor? Love's question is, if love asks questions at all, is how can I show myself neighborly? Love does not inquire, who ought I to help? It inquires, how can I best be a helper? It does not look narrowly or grudgingly or fearfully round, trying to find out who the others are who may have claim on it. Its eyes are turned inward upon itself saying what will make me more fit to serve a lot of times we ask the wrong questions we have the wrong thoughts the wrong motives we ask like the lawyer who is my neighbor to try to justify who we should help and who we shouldn't help instead we should be asking ourselves how we can show ourselves neighborly how can we show, our, show love to others that we come in contact with? The last two blocks, the last two blocks that we had, brotherly kindness and love, are outward towards others. Like a plant, it takes time to grow. There's only so much a farmer can do. He can prepare the soil, water it, put it in the best place to grow but he cannot make it grow. Same with our Christian life. We can do a lot of, a lot to work to cultivate the soil, to water, to make sure we're spending the best time with the Lord. 
But yet it's God who's working in us like that plant to grow, to cause us to grow, to mature. And when a, when a plant matures, it produces first flowers, flowers that are beautiful to behold, pleasant to see, maybe enjoyed by others. Um, but yet as you, as you think of not just a flower, but maybe a, an apple tree or something like that, the flower dies and then it produces fruit. Fruit is the sign of maturity in the believer's life. The pa- this passage here in Second Peter talks about that you will not, neither be barren nor unfruitful if you do these things. Peter's just saying that if you have these things, your life will show the maturity you have in the Christian life because you will be blessing others. And fruit is never for the plant. The plant doesn't eat the fruit. Doesn't it get to enjoy it? No, someone else gets to enjoy the fruit. Enjoy the fruit of the plant. Just like others will get to enjoy if we display these aspects in our Christian life. They're not for us. They're for others. And so our lives should be for others, that they show that we have matured in our Christian walk to the point that we bless others, that we're fruitful. And because of that fruit, because people can see it in our lives, Peter talks about making your election sure. I think it's just evidence. It's just more evident that your life, that your life is in Christ and that you, you are one of his children. Think, so next time you think about your Christian lock, think about Legos, think about building. Remember, it's a process. It's not overnight that we get this way. We're ne- <laughs> There's 50 steps in here. It's not like, hey, tomorrow, if I do these things, I'm, I'm going to produce fruit. Remember, it's not just our work in it. It's also God's work in us to help us to grow and uh, grow to be more like his son. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful this morning for your word. We're thankful that uh, the Holy Spirit gave Peter this, these thoughts of how to mature as a Christian. Father, help each one of us as we see this instruction booklet, this uh, path, to growing, uh, to be a more mature Christian. Help us to take the steps in our own lives to be diligent uh, in seeking to grow in these areas of our life. Father, we, uh, I just pray that each one of us here, I pray that you would show yourself that you are working uh, in each one of the believers' lives here, that you would make that evident to them so that they may see it that they may be encouraged by it and that that may encourage them to continue on and press on towards the goal. Father, just thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the example for us to follow. We pray all these things in his name, amen.